0: You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 28. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. And
1: send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks, Or head to www.codingblocks.net and find our other social links there at the top of the page. And with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan
0: Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw, and this is our first remote recording, so we'll see how well this works out.
1: Yeah, pseudo, so, so me and Outlaw are in the same room, and then Joe Zach is
0: somewhere in sunny Florida. We're sending smoke signals to him. <laughs> That's right. Can you see
2: that? No, it's dark now. Oh, yeah.
0: Crap. This is not going to go over well.
1: All right, so let's kick it off with our news this week, or this week, I say it like that. I mean, it's been a while since we recorded. We've been busy, so... Too long. Oh, yeah, it has been too long. We were all kind of chomping at the bit to get back to this, so... Yeah, it's been been too long. Yeah, the first thing we want to talk about are the uh, poll results. So, first off, thank you for all of you that went up there and told us
0: how often you wanted to hear us. And if you haven't, now's your chance. You go to... uh, slash poll or slash episode 27. Yep. So net slash episode 27 or net slash poll. And, uh, you know, let your voice be heard. Yeah. So right now we got a pretty tight race between the way that we do it
1: right now to where we release once every 12 yeah, well, weeks.
0: yeah <laughs> Wait, wait. Once every 12 weeks. Whatever. Get out of here. You know what, though? You know what, though? I, like, I, I still want to go through the results yet, so I'm not sure if we wanted to say that, but what the results were. But... I will say this though about some of these, like especially for those that like took the time uh, to to write your own, uh, uh, you know, result there. It will definitely make it harder to uh, uh, tabulate all of that. But there were some awesome little gems in there, and I'm pretty sure one of you guys, uh, I'm talking to you, Alan and you, Joe, <laughs> set some of these up though. Because like for example, someone said. Yeah, their their quote was "Anytime I can hear Michael's voice would be awesome." Yeah, we did not do that, but it was <laughs> no, funny. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. The, I, and I thought there was another one that was similar along that same vein. That was like, but it said "sweet voice" or something.
1: No, my my absolute favorite was one a week, one hour long. Sweet Jesus. Oh yeah,
0: right. <laughs> yeah, no, there there were some really good ones in there that were like that. So you know I, I really do appreciate the time or we appreciate that you taking the time to uh go up there and vote and like i said if you haven't uh now's your chance and i think we're going to make this a regular thing you know we'll, we'll have uh you know some some different polls and see see what happens try to put some interesting uh questions out to you guys and give you guys an opportunity to uh you know let your voices be heard yep so uh
2: definitely yep. appreciate the time taken to do that and speaking of appreciation, I wanted to give a big th- uh shout out and thanks to DevUpSam, Sam, Cordon Webguy, Ed B, Crycorn 2, Kenneth Glish, Oli 724, and uh there's two names here I'm going to need some help from Outlaw pronouncing. Oh, uh Ed B. I got that one. And Cordon Webguy. <laughs> hey, no, that's, I did those. Uh, oh man, the, the you, hard get, ones? you get the hard ones.
0: <sighs> well, uh, I guess this first one is Mr. Furley. That one's not so bad, right? I thought you were going to say Mr. Furley. No, I, th- <laughs> I think I got that one right. And then, oh man, why would you do this to me? Um, M. Just go fast. M. M. Birmingham. May- May- M. Burman PGA, right?
2: Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, M- maybe in M- M- Birmingham Puka. Okay. Yeah, actually, um, that reminds me. I was watching uh, Taj O oh, the other night, um, and by the way, he's from right around here. And um, there Atlanta? was an app. Have you? Got, I want to know if you guys had heard of this. It's called Speech Jammer. No. And what you do is you plug your headphones into this thing, and you, um, you know, kind of hit play, and then you try to talk. And it, it kind of sends this little like feedback loop of your own voice back to you that's supposed to kind of mess with your speech centers and your brain. So it's actually really hard to talk while you're kind of hearing this stuff. So uh, I thought that was kind of funny. It might be a fun little gag, like, you know, get your wife on there and ask her to tell you a story or something. And you just end up sounding ridiculous. I thought he was trying to give us like some kind of hint about uh, this remote recording setup that <laughs> yeah, he was like having a
0: hard time because he was hearing himself. Uh, apparently, no, not. I think he's making excuses already. We're oh. like five minutes in, he's already like dropping an excuse bucket. Uh, but
1: yeah, I'll, I'm gonna
0: drop into the sleep bucket in a minute. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt.
1: But seriously, some of these reviews are absolutely fantastic. We got several that said, Hey, this is a must add to your podcast collection, or you know, quickly becoming one of my favorites. So, hey, guys, seriously, thank you very much. Uh, we haven't gotten enough of them. In I, this, I like in the one cat. where
0: I, Mr. Furley. And he says that we're funny. <laughs> <laughs> we try to be sometimes. And sometimes it just
1: comes across that way anyways. But, but yeah, keep them coming. We absolutely love and appreciate that you guys take the time to do that. So thank you. Super, super appreciated. Uh, the next thing we want to talk about was Build Atlanta. Yeah, man. That was awesome. Uh, Outlaw's even wearing the shirt right now. Yeah, coincidentally. Um, that was a so, – Outlaw and myself went to this to this all day event that Microsoft hosted here at the Atlanta Aquarium, and it was very well done. First off, like I mean,
0: it was this is like the the on the road version of Build. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we didn't actually get to see the Hololens. Man, they didn't. Bring well, the I mean, we got to see pictures of it, that but was so we didn't ridiculous. get to like, touch one or see
1: an actual. I think everybody there wanted to see it, right? Like, I think that's why
0: half the people showed up to it. But is this thing real, though? I mean, is this really going to hit the market? Man, personally, I think it's vaporware. I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I don't what, know. What's dude. the hardware equivalent of vaporware? Whatever that is, that's what that is. I don't know, dude. Google Glass.
1: Well, see, Google Glass actually felt like to me like it that really was vaporware. But this
0: thing looks yeah, like, Yeah, but it that has actually potential. made it into the market and people could buy it. I yeah. Mean, now, is it in the market anymore? Well, no, not now. But, well, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> but what well, I mean, though, is that, like it was actually a thing that people could buy. It was just a ridiculously expensive thing. Like I'm curious to see if this ever even gets that far, though. Dude. Or is this going to be like the, the surface
2: table that you yeah, only hear rumors about? I feel like anything at CES, like if you see it at CES, it's just never going to happen.
1: But, but you know what? Here's the thing, though. It, from my perspective, just looking at this, like what they've shown of it, If they can bring the price of this thing down into within reason, let's say within an Xbox one type price range, you know, five hundred ish dollars. If they can Dude, get it there,
0: Google Glass was fifteen hundred. Why $1, do you think this
1: thing's going to be less? So, so think about it like this: Microsoft has been known to take a hit on hardware, knowing that they'll make it up on the back end. The Xbox 360 sold at a loss. The Xbox sold at a loss. Well, that's because just how game consoles are done. now. not not always, but but the thing is, is no, think always. about this: if they can get this in the hands of people, and they can and they can monetize a market because they're they're I going think the use case for a thing is so small. I don't know. It, it, the thing is, I can't imagine building software for it. Like that would be incredibly Here, here's difficult. Here's the problem.
0: Here's the problem. In in and it doesn't suffer the the exact same fate as 3D TVs, but a similar one. And that is that for people in glasses like myself, I'm automatically like, eh, it's probably going to be uncomfortable to wear on top of my glasses or not, you know, comfortable or or not like look correct or Something. you need contacts? <laughs> yeah. It's not <laughs> happening, man.
2: Yeah, man, I, don't, I don't know. Debbie Downers, gosh.
1: I, I don't know, man. Like, it looks really cool to me. Like, some of the things that I saw that they could do with it. Now, how well it actually works in real interaction, who knows? Like, you can't even see the thing anywhere. But right. I, I, I just can't imagine writing software for it. Could you imagine actually trying to do an augmented reality type thing to where it's you know, it's not like something on your phone where you point your phone in a direction and it shows you
0: the Wendy's that's the closest, right? Maybe this should be the next poll: Is Hololens real? Because oh, dude, it's real. No, I mean, I, this thing could actually be like a Michael Bay production, right? Just making you think, like, like you, Optimus Prime looked pretty convincing in those movies, right? <laughs> this could be another one of those. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited about
1: it. I hope it. I hope it is real. But I mean. We haven't seen one yet, but anyway, I guess back to the show on the uh, on the Atlanta build. It was really like it was a day full of information that I thought was really cool. Like the approach that Microsoft is now taking to software is you. It's almost like responsive web design. Like what what I got out of the day's worth of stuff where they have what was called WP uh, F. No, not WPF. Uh, It was the... uh, Oh, God. Why can I not remember what it was right now? But basically, they're bringing the entire platform all together. So you'll be able to write a piece of software that could run on something from a Raspberry Pi to a Windows phone to a Windows tablet to the desktop. Like, they're they're trying to unify the experience. I mean, they've been touting that for years, though. They have, but now they're actually forcing it all through the same programming model
0: which is Which is a cool thing, um, you know back in the day, C had this grand vision that you could write your C code on you know one time and run it anywhere too well Java also. and then Java came along with a similar promise, and Microsoft's been saying a similar thing with like, "Hey, write your universal app I mean I get it it's cool there There's some stuff out there. I'm not trying to be a debbie downer, but uh they you can tell that they're definitely feeling pressure from you know Apple and Google. Uh, especially in the mobile market but yeah and there was some really there was some really cool stuff there but you know one thing too is just like the expense of it though oh god that that whole day was covered yeah i mean
1: we didn't we didn't pay for
0: parking we didn't pay for food and dude
1: they rented out the entire uh ballroom of the atlanta aquarium so it was not a cheap event and i mean they want people to get excited about what they've got going on and and I will say this, as as a .net developer, it is exciting, but it would be way more exciting if they had, you know, a ton of mobile users or, you know, something along that line because right now still like if you're going to write an application, you're writing it for Windows, right? You're not you're not really going to be writing it for the Windows phone. Now, the the Ooh. one cool part is if, well, if there, you're writing you're a mobile app, you're going to write it for iOS first. That's what I'm saying, but here's the cool part, right? Like if, let's just say, if this this thing happens, and this is what they're saying, Windows 10 is going to be a part of this universal platform that they're doing. If you can write it for Windows, and then for essentially free, it will scale down to a phone and a tablet and uh, the Internet of Things devices, that could be cool, right? Like, now you have buy into a platform, and you didn't really have to work at it, because like I'd you just it said, differ.
0: you're not going to any application you're going to write for a Raspberry Pi isn't going to be something that you're going to be interested in on your phone. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is you write a core for your desktop app. And now let's say it's a
1: business layer or something like that. Or or you you layer your application properly. That now becomes available across all devices. Yeah, you're not going to write a desktop application that's going to translate perfectly to a phone but it is cool that you could have that same core be a part of it right i, I got two words for you that came out of that event what was it data lake that was cool <laughs> data
2: yeah, lake
0: what's that it was you know honestly i don't even know it, it, there was there was some uh you know azure announcements that were made there too and like one of them was this new data lake service for dealing with with gobs of data but it, I couldn't help but like laugh when I heard the name because it just sounded kind of humorous. And then, uh, yeah, there, there was the the image of the the dump truck uh, spilling trash everywhere, and I just kind of thought of that as like, you know, here comes the the data truck coming to get your your data to take it to the data lake. Hmm. Yeah, man, there the was all. And, and code was the most most. Uh, disappointing part of it for me like the massive text editor that is code so so at the original build event they announced code and then i guess i misunderstood its purpose because i was thinking like hey this is a cool new ide that they're creating that to be cross-platform but at the build event in atlanta they were very careful every time they mentioned it they referred to it as an editor yeah, they and, never once talked to it cuz because even in my own experience, like as soon as it was talked about, I was like, "Oh, let me go download this thing and start playing with it. and See if I can write some code." You know, like, let me just write a simple hello world app and compile it and watch it run or debug it or whatever. And you know, it, it, you try to, you know, bring up a task runner and you're like, "Hey, do a build." And it's like, "Okay, yeah, I can figure that." And you're like, "No, you should already know how to do the build."
2: And it seems like a sublime competitor, no notepad++, <laughs>
0: well, well, yeah, maybe but um and they they at one point during the presentation uh, in Atlanta they mentioned that um you could do compiles for uh what was it um, it had to be a mono specific project in order to compile only on linux and os10 so i you know i've been playing around with this on a windows 8 box And uh, that explains why I couldn't do any kind of compile with it.
1: Well, it does say, like, on their site, code.visualstudio.com,
0: that it has an integrated debugging experience. Yes, for JavaScript. Ah. Yeah. So if you wanted to write C Sharp on it, right, and then compile it, you have to, A, be on something other than Windows, which means, B, it's a mono. Project because at the moment they haven't released their own, uh, their own core, yeah, non Microsoft, non Windows based, um, dot net runtime. platform yeah. or, or runtime. That's really, hmm, that's interesting. I mean, it,
1: okay, so I will say this if you throw it into this, into the camp with Sublime, that is still pretty cool,
0: right? I mean, but then was it buying you though? that That's free. the disappointing part. It's free. Oh my god. So, so you can download Sublime and use it forever for free, and it'll let you. Yeah, notepads out there. I'm not saying I'm not saying that you should. I mean, you know, you know, give them a few bucks. Right. But, but I believe if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, I'm I'm fairly certain that this is based on Atom, which is another free editor. Yeah, Atom is. I don't know. Is it based on Atom? I really don't know.
1: I'm uh, fairly certain it is. Nah. Well, either which way, I mean, they did they did talk about it, but it, it wasn't a huge it wasn't a huge part of build. I mean, build they definitely. They showed some stuff with Azure that was really cool. Like some of the analytics you get if you're hooked up into their services. I mean, they were they were walking through like, I mean, if you are in love with statistics and you like to analyze every bit of everything that happens, like you can see all kinds of cool stuff on their dashboards in Azure. Um, I mean, the, the unified platform was one of their big selling points, and that was mostly using uh, WPF and XAML, right? Uh was it w p. f or was it just XAML? I know that they were talking about things but but it was seriously it was similar to responsive design because you had things like saying hey if the if the screen width is you know ten twenty four or less then then switch to this mode so the, the, i think that's pretty exciting
2: you know like for a while there we were kind of afraid that maybe they were going to be getting away from xaml because they kind of killed off silverlight and we were promoting html and javascript but it looks like uh it's still it's still in there
1: actually not only is it still in there it seems to be the focus for
0: yeah it's definitely if there's any question as to like what what was the future for xaml it seems like it's uh not going away yeah soon. it's
1: it's pretty much the predominant for creating your ui stuff um <laughs> So that that was really cool. Um, but Just again, to go
0: back to the data lake, though, uh, yeah. to give you a, a more like definition of it, it, Microsoft touts it as a hyperscale repository for big data analytic workloads. So now you know what it means. <laughs> it's clear as mud. Um, no fixed size on file limits or account size. It's based on a Hadoop distributed file system, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they they
1: also said some ridiculous statistic there that didn't make much sense. Like, some some massive percentage of Linux running in the cloud was theirs. Do you remember what that...
0: Oh, my God. My battery on my laptop
1: was dying because, I mean...
0: Oh, I don't have the notes with me. Yes. They made some ridiculous claim about... Well, I say ridiculous. Like, some obscene percentage of all the Linux greater than 50. web servers. It, I want to say it was like that they said 80% or something, or something like yeah. that. I, I don't man. I wish I could. I wish I had my notes with me on, but, from the show. But
1: they said that they were all running on Azure, like cloud-based versions were running on Azure. And all I could think was, "There's no way
0: with yeah. A, with AWS being there." I mean, you got Google Compute. You yeah. got AWS EC2 instances out there. Like, you got DigitalOcean. Really? You have well. I, let's take all the small guys. Let's just talk. Let's just focus on the, the two, two big, big ones. ones. Yeah.
1: There's no way AWS is definitely leading the way. Oh, with I
2: actually it. found that stat. It's um over 70 percent of all links boxes. Running on Azure or running on Azure, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I believe that.
0: <laughs> nice, well, well done there. See uh, what you did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There was something else that was on the tip of my tongue.
1: Yeah, w- when it was said there, I, like literally, both oh. me and Mike looked at each other like, "No way." <laughs>
0: the .NET Native uh, oh, that was another cool feature coming that out was where cool. uh, you could just simply recompile your app. To be uh, a .NET native app, and it would um, you would gain uh, it was a huge performance boost. <laughs> yeah, I, the the numbers were like twenty, forty, sixty. So I'm trying to remember like which was which. Though you got you got uh, a, a smaller file size in a smaller memory footprint, and oh and no, I know what it was. I know what it was. It was it was something like a dang. No, I don't. One of them was the one of them was the start time, uh a cold start time, and then the other one was the warm start time for the app, and then the other one was the memory footprint.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can't so here's what he's talking about with the dot net native thing is basically what happens is right now when you compile a dot net application, it, it you know, it compiles it into the uh what is it, CIL or whatever. Um C L R or no, yeah more so then that gets run but the first time you take a big hit because it has to uh, basically load it all up and and get it ready to run when you do it this way it actually compiles it down to c
0: level code right wasn't that what it was no th- this was it, it compiles it down to native machine code that machine performs code. like c++ okay. code but this is taking you know like your your universal apps your C sharp app and compiling it down to native Oh, uh, here and we go it performs it you know their app will start from a fresh start sixty percent faster than it did, and all you had to do was just recompile it and it would use anywhere from fifteen to twenty percent less memory yep. than it did and again. You're just recompiling the app.
1: Yeah, and another thing that they were talking about a lot is they've spent a lot of time in their runtime making sure that applications now are easier on the processor because they're more concerned than ever about doing things on the mobile platforms and tablets and that kind of thing. So they've really been focusing on these things a lot. I mean, there, there was definitely some cool things that came out. Uh, there was yep. another website. It was uh, something to cat uh, Microsoft... Uh, <laughs> Man, I tweeted all well, this c- stuff out.
2: Actually, real quick, I just wanted to mention that um, there actually was a tool called NGEN. I think it even came out like when .NET uh-huh. came out that let you compile things to native code. But I'd always heard it was kind of a bad thing because you lo- lost a lot of the benefits of like just-in-time compiling. So I've never been really clear on what the difference between NGEN and uh, the new .NET native stuff is. But I've heard the same claims about performance um, benefits and everything, so kind of interested to uh, hear the difference and if you know what the difference is i would love to hear it
1: yeah oh and yeah. the site the site i was talking about um and it's free by the way you can go up there and check out all these things that we were just kind of mentioning is microsoft virtual dot um so they they definitely have a lot of cool stuff and it's all free like they they teach you things they have sections broken down by types so c sharp and xaml hybrid cloud automation cloud app development blah 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 there's a ton of stuff so um definitely go check that out if you're interested in the newest things coming and learning for free yep all right, so i think uh I think we've we've hit a lot of points on the build a t l so what you got yeah Joe? there's
0: plenty of stuff out there that you can find
2: yeah yep, uh, so I just want to mention really quick um Tampa Code Camp is coming up. I missed the Orlando Code Camp when I moved to the area, but uh, just kind of throwing it out there. I do uh, plan on starting to hit up some of the meetups in Central Florida, so uh, if you guys are in Central Florida, Hey, you hit what me up. day
0: is that? I'll be there.
2: Uh, yeah, I you're going to be there?
0: Should I drive now? I, do I need to... <laughs> uh, right. I'm remember. looking at I
2: think it's July 14th. So you've got a couple weeks. I'm
1: actually going to be down there, dude. I'm not going to be too far from you.
2: Oh, really? In Tampa? Yeah, yeah. I will be
1: just across the way from Tampa, so uh, I might actually come out to that.
2: Oh, awesome. Uh, July 18th is the day.
1: <laughs> Excellent, dude. I'm going to be down there. All right. All right. So um, uh, the next one, I actually appreciated this. So Rebecca on on Twitter, the other night I had a very, very long coding night, I think the longest ever that I've done, and in, I was getting a little punch drunk and I needed some humor, and she came to the rescue. She said um what do they call an an alligator in a vest All uh, right yes. anybody I I don't know <laughs> An investigator Uh that's wonderful (laughs) it was it was super corny and exactly what i needed
2: at about three or four a.m whenever (laughs) sometimes a good bad joke can just make you feel fuzzy wait wait
0: wait why why are you calling her joke a bad joke that was fantastic
2: it's a good bad joke
0: you
1: know the great part is is i think all of us looked at this on our phone and it cut off the actual answer and and I was like, "Was well, she never going to give us the answer?" This is ridiculous. <laughs>
2: yeah. You were like texting back and forth, like,
1: "What's the answer?" I don't know. <laughs> and it was just further down on the tweet. She built suspense, so uh, we appreciated that. That was fun.
0: Yeah. Now I, I have to pour one out for for my my buddy here, Singleton. So, oh God, no, no. Me and Singleton are tight. No, <laughs> are you sharper? Oh my God so we've already talked about you know how how I had uninstalled it and everything and, and I'm being <laughs> you know sans resharper and honestly i've kind of i've kind of gotten addicted to productivity tools the the um add in that Microsoft makes for visual studio um, productivity tools or pro tools or something like that yeah, yeah. Uh, two thousand thirteen and it's got it's got some Nice little add-ins to studio, but definitely not to the degree that um, resharper has especially resharper with uh, dot cover, which was my favorite combination and uh so you know I said last time that I would eventually come back to try you know try and resharper out like you know if I ever decided to or felt the need to so I did I decided, hey, you know what I'm going to ultimate. And because every version I've ever used in the past has just been immediate gold, like I've loved it, and it has just been like, you know, a part of me, why am I going to bother with this trial? I'm just, I'm all in. Let's buy the upgrade to Ultimate, and awesome things will happen. And I didn't like it.
2: (laughs) Really? No. Like too slow or shortcuts? (laughs) What what didn't you like? (laughs) i didn't like
1: it <laughs> yeah
0: it was really it was really bad um wait so, really bad well my experience was really bad let me be clear um you know how you you hear a lot of people that say that what they don't like about Resharper is that it's slow and you know the what it does to visual studio and things like that they're not wrong so i had problems where like um just trying to navigate between like especially like you know, the current code base I'm working in is rather large uh in terms of the number of files and whatnot. And going between files, it would just Visual Studio would hang often, uh almost always, and you'd get a not responding prompt coming up from Visual Studio, all because you decided it was time to look at another file. Ooh. And it was random little things like that and uh just even sluggishness while using it and and again like I know before anyone jumps on this cuz I mentioned the productivity tools there is a known um issue where productivity tools and uh resharper cannot coexist so I had already um at first I tried just leaving it d- productivity tools disabled and see if you know that would work and then that still wasn't buying me anything, so uh, I uninstalled productivity tools because, you know, really wanted to commit to ReSharper, especially after I'd already paid for the license without trying the trial. <laughs> <clears throat> but, um, and it's still my my luck still wasn't bad, so I ended or it up wasn't good. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, my yeah, it did not work out well for me, and so I ended up uninstalling it almost within 24 hours wow. of oh. paying for the license. Oh, that's right. And so for the right. first
1: time... What's your license key? I'll try oh. it out make sure it's... it's yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Share on Twitter and just let whoever gets it first yeah, yeah. get it. Yeah. I mean,
1: I, I just want to make sure it really is bad. <laughs> right,
2: right.
0: <laughs> so so I... Uh, but for the first time, though, like, like uh, re-sharper, like a lot of tools... Or not a lot, but you know, several tools do this thing where, like, you know, after you uninstall it, they immediately open up a browser to their feedback page, and they want to know, like, hey, why are you uninstalling this thing, right? And I have always just been like, eh, I ain't got time for that. Forget it. Why? Why? Why do you care? Whatever, right? But this was the first time where I was like, no, this is. I love this thing. I've loved this thing for so long now, (laughs) right? Like, I I have you know, told everyone I've I've gone to the hilltop and I've sang its praises for so long now and now it has betrayed me. <laughs> I need to let you know how I feel about this betrayal, right? So I actually did write back. So I will say that it's not over, right? Um because there so there's there's there is advantage to filling out those forms, it turns out, because their support team immediately Got back in touch with me to wanting to find out uh, why, and one of the JetBrains tools is the profiler, and uh, so I sent them some profile information from Visual Studio so that they could debug, see like what was happening with it. So maybe they'll fix the problem in a future ReSharper bug, but until then, I'm kind of like, you know, at the mercy of if they fix the bug. You know, if they decide to fix it, if they can reproduce it, if they can fix it, whatever, right? And to be clear, you're not running
1: on, like, a Core i3. You have, like, an i7 with 16 gigs of RAM, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, SSD and all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's not it's not a slotch machine, and uh I can't use my favorite tool. Mm. That's a little rough. Which really makes it difficult, like, you know, I, I suppose I, I haven't tried installing dot .cover by itself because... uh um, I, you know, I it just hurts I too much yeah the pain's a little too fresh <laughs> yeah that's what it is yeah I, I feel you that would that would hurt <sighs> so all you uh, resharper naysayers I guess scoot over <laughs>
1: <laughs> here he is alright so uh, one last quick thing in the news section before we get into the uh, real stuff here today is uh, it, this hit me so hard the other night Because we've all been there where you got to get something done, right? Like, it has to be done. You have to get it done. Dude, I'm sitting there, and I I think I even IM'd Outlaw, and I was like, dude, (laughs) I'm really just starting to throw away good programming sense right now. He's like, dude, you need to tweet that. (laughs) And I did, and a lot of people favored it because apparently everybody feels this pain, right? Like, you're up in, it's the 11th hour, and you've got, you know, Ten more hours of work to do, and it's like, Oh God, and so you just really start you know almost just forgiving yourself ahead of time for what you're about to do because it's like i I don't have time to make
0: this perfect, I don't have time to make this even decent. I'm just making this right well maybe this should be the poll the next poll then because I dare say that like a majority of code that any developer has written. Where they were like under the gun you know tight you know tight deadline and really you know pressured, that's when they probably wrote the code that they are the least proud of Maybe. or or there's you know portions of code they're like, yeah, I'm not proud of that part, but I had to get it done so
2: I'd love, I'd love to see that commit message. I just imagine it saying like I dare you to say something you know four am <laughs> <laughs> actually i
1: i was I was laughing about this earlier, so I've become a fan of rebase in git because you i thought you could squash your own history well apparently there's a way to do that but the way that I've done it doesn't so my commit messages like there's things like man this is some bs just shoot me <laughs> like i definitely had a bunch of commits where i'm like man i'm fixing another problem with their framework i'm so ticked off right now right
0: like remove test case since code didn't pass qa
1: <laughs> wait, I didn't run a test case. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, so, uh,
2: I guess,
1: but no, I mean, seriously, like we've all been there where it's like, Oh, you started out, you, you had separated all your classes. You had this nice roadmap ahead of you and you get down into it. And you know, 90 bugs later that you're trying to work around. You're like, man, I don't even care what this looks like when it's done. As long as it comes up on the screen, the way it's supposed to. Right. So yeah, it just wanted it all of those who favorited and ret- retweeted i'm i'm sure that you've all been there <laughs> I, did yeah, you, the you <laughs> I did it for the lulls. you a nerve
0: i did it for the lols right get commit commented out failing tests <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if if you guys don't recall or if the, if this is new to you and uh, you do find yourself in a similar situation as Alan did where it's 4 a.m. and, you know, you got to do a commit and you're like, gosh, what do I – I don't even know what to say about this commit. You really should just go to com and let it tell you what your commit message should be. Yeah. That's
1: – I probably – I wish I would have remembered that the other night because I would have or, – or the other morning. So. Yeah, man, that was that was a rough night. So, anyways, on to what we're talking about today, which are hierarchical data sets. Um, we, we did What's a, that? Yeah, we did a couple of episodes on SQL um, a while back. And these kind of things come up all the time. And they're a little bit more advanced topics. We're, we're going to start down at the bottom with this, but we're going to work our way up. So, um, the first one that we're going to talk about is called the adjacency list. And it's pretty simple. If you've worked in databases for long at all, you've seen this stuff. Essentially, you if you if you think of an employee table, just a simple table, typically what you'll have is an employee ID and a manager ID. That is the adjacency list right there. Essentially, it's a self-referencing parent-child relationship within the same table.
0: Well, let me let me sum it up in an easier way. All right. Every record knows its immediate parent.
1: Yes. Yeah, so if you have an employee ID, let's let's say
0: that you know, let's
1: say that Michael's the boss. Yeah, I'm the middle you know guy. Yeah, Michael's the boss. Joe's the middle guy, and I, and I'm the grunt down at the bottom. So that's Michael, why you're up at four a.m. Right. <laughs> so Michael's ID one, Joe's ID two. So Michael his his manager ID is going to be null because he's the top of the chain, right? That's right. Um, Joe, I like where this is going? Joe's ID two. Well, his manager ID is going to be one. That's Michael and then me down at the bottom my employee id is 3 and my manager is 2 so that's joe so if you were to query this thing going up then you'd see that hey i i am joe's worker and joe is mike's worker and that's how the table looks
2: okay so it's a tree basically right so everyone has only one parent but each you know Parent could theoretically be parent to multiple.
1: Yeah, so if we wanted to break that down to where it wasn't a, a complete waterfall down, right, to where it was Mike, then you, then me, it could be Mike's at the top, you know, ID one, uh, manager ID null, then you're ID two, manager ID one, I'm employee ID three with manager ID one. So both of us are just one level below him, but multiple children, just like you said.
2: Okay, so an example thing I, I might want to query is... Uh, Give me all uh, Michael's reports. Yep. Right? And, yep. And
0: well, are we going to talk about direct reports or are we going to talk about like the full tree? Let's, let's start with direct, direct well, reports, right? Because keep we, it easy.
1: Yeah. We'll get, we'll get into the meat of the problem in a second, but yeah. So direct reports, you basically be like, Hey, select star from, or, or star, that's a bad idea anyways, but select star splat f- splat from uh, employees where manager ID equal one. Give me all of Mike's direct reports, right? So that's it. Pretty simple. Another thing that you typically see in these type of situations are, hey, show me the top level guy. And there's usually two ways of going about this. You'll either have the manager ID null, or you'll have the manager ID equal whatever his ID is. So you'd say, hey, select star from employee where manager ID equal null. That'd give you Mike back. Or if they had filled it in, you could say, where employee ID equal manager ID. And now you have the top-level guy. So those have covered the basics of, of what the adjacency list is. Um, now to get into the harder part, right? So let's say that you are a few levels deep. How do you go about doing that?
0: Well, this is where you'd be tempted to use your recursive CTE not to tempted, solve, not solve your problem. You okay, would, well, would do this. <laughs> you could do it this way. Yeah. So
1: but go ahead. CTE for those who don't know or yes. haven't listened to the
0: previous ones, that's a common table expression. Oh, and just to be clear, the previous episodes that we we're talking about were episodes thirteen and fourteen.
1: Yep. And they those are pretty deep episodes. So um if you if you want to put your sequel hat on, it's yeah. there's just a propeller lot of
0: color hats are a must.
1: Yeah, those that those are some pretty deep episodes. Um but a CTE is a common table expression, and all that is is it gives you uh it kind of allows you to create virtual tables in your queries, um, with some added benefits. What we're talking about with the recursive CTE. Now, here's the here's the thing with it. It's only available in some RDBMSs. MySQL does not have CTEs. Postgres does. SQL Server does. Oracle does. A lot of what they call enterprise based uh, database management systems do have this. But like MySQL, one of the most popular on the planet does not have a recursive or even CTEs. So and
2: sometimes people call these with clauses, right? Or i I think I've seen that word before. We'll say, um, you're doing a with in your SQL.
1: Yep. That's, right? that's what it starts with is a with. Um, so with a re- recursive CTE there, they're and, and I know why Mike's saying that you would be tempted to do it. And here's the thing. If you have relatively shallow or smaller data sets that you're using, just go
2: ahead and use them. They're awesome. Um, you know what's smaller, like a hundred, a 1, thousand?
1: I, I mean it kinda depends, right? It depends on the load of your system and all that. Um I mean I've definitely done it with thousands of records and it and it performs fine.
0: And it's gonna be manageable. It it, it will be manageable. I, I mean l- So so just to be clear, then the way this CTE is gonna work is like let's say you have like uh with em- employee uh hierarchy as and then you'll do a select star from uh, what was your table employee Employees. right where uh yep. employee id equals 1 yep right your your first guy or let's say where manager id
1: is null let's get let's get the top level guy right? okay
0: where it's null okay where employee id equals null union all select star from employee uh what did i name the cte originally cte uh, employee, employee hierarchy department. yep okay so select star from uh employee where uh, employee manager equal employee hierarchy dot uh, employee ID. ID. Yep. Right. So that 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 second portion of the that second select statement in that union all is going to um, call back on the CTE itself. Right. So it's going to recursively call on it. And that's going to be fine in your smaller data set example. Yep. Or or it could
1: even be a large
0: data set within that table. But depending on
1: what you are doing with that across other tables that you are joining to, and and that kind of thing, it can get really big, really fast, and and now your performance can really degrade.
2: When you say performance, you mean CPU. We talk in memory, everything, uh, uh, all
1: of it, right? Like, so it could be your CPU. Well, so here is the thing: you can index these columns. The the one great thing about the adjacency list is it's super easy to index, right? You got two columns: you have your employee ID and your manager ID. So SQL Server can utilize these indexes, which well, is pretty Well, I mean, there's, nice. other,
0: there's other ways to solve hierarchical data, too, where you could also index it nice. So I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the benefit of adjacency list. Well, so the fact that it's simple, though, is what I'm saying
1: is, right? Like you have your parent-child relationship in one table.
0: Well, when we get to nested set models, though, those are pretty simple things that you're going to index Not to. building them. Not No, it. but we're talking about the indexing, though. Okay, we're okay. For the, the performance part. Because so. because when I'm thinking, like when when you talk about the employee ID and the manager ID and the and the benefits of the adjacency list, immediately I'm thinking of the fact that you you could have integrity
2: on those columns now. Yep. Very easy. Yep. Good um, question. Yeah. Cyclic data.
1: Oh, if you have something that re- references something up above. Yep. So here's the thing: with something like SQL Server, I think it has. It has a max max recursion. Yeah. Max recursion of like 99. It it might be higher than that. I can't remember. So it
2: won't totally kill the box, but really it's invalid for this. You're not going to be able to model this with this approach.
1: No, actually what you would run into anyways is that would eventually end up breaking you because yeah, if you have something, if, if you have a record five down that references a record that was three up from it, then yeah you're gonna start getting into this recursion, so essentially you're just gonna start getting back a ton of data that doesn't make sense right so yep. yeah, that's a problem, but that's actually a data problem, right that's an integrity issue, and
2: well, it depends on your data you know for for like a manager hierarchy, that would be a bad thing, but
1: well, is it? might be well i mean I, I there are some there are some uh you, management chains that are called flat right to where people can report to multiple different people so
2: yeah or like it, checks and balances like the legislative branch checks the judicial no the judicial, I, i'm thinking of know. like
0: the one the more pop, the, the, the the most well, a big known one was blackberry when they there was a period of time where blackberry two had CTOs, two c two CTOs. ceos yeah Right, so the whole company, like at the, it's starting at the top. There were two guys.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, that's yeah. If you've got two parents, this is right out the window too. Yep. So, so, but I think those are going to be problematic, though. Like,
0: when you get into like circular data structures like that, though, this is this we're talking about hierarchical. I don't know if you heard Joe. But at the beginning of the show we said we were going to talk about hierarchies not now you're circular talking about
2: circles <laughs> right i think i think that's a different show yeah yeah that's the graph database man, show man it's so All difficult
0: right. being remote you can't see that we're talking about hierarchies yeah you guys can't hit me anymore
1: <laughs> start throwing things across the table Um, So, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We do get into the CTEs, so when we were talking about the performance and all that, if you think about what SQL Server is actually having to do behind the scenes, I'm sure they've built in optimizations, but in the old days, before you had things like CTEs, essentially what people would do is they'd write procs, right, that would then fill in temporary tables, and it would loop over and say, okay, go give me all the children of this. So, hey, select star from from employees where manager id equal this then you get down another level and then you and then you'd step through every one of those and say all right give me all the employees that report to them and so you kind of fill this in behind the scenes that's really what sql server is probably doing is it's saying okay give me all those parents now or all those children now give me all those children and so it's one at a time stepping down the hierarchy so if you have a really deep tree and, and if you have a wide table and by a wide table you have a ton of columns in it, these these queries get expensive, especially if these if the data sets split across pages. Like there's all kinds of things that can happen there. But the deeper you go, the more recursive levels there are, the more expensive
0: it is to actually run that. And but you know, on the plus side though for a JCC list, they're easy to implement. Oh super easy. I mean
1: right? It, especially if you have an r d. b m s that supports c t e s right if you have a database system that does not like mysqL then you end up building something like we what we just mentioned where you're filling in some sort of temporary table some staging table to where you can pull the data out with an adjacency list
0: well not only not only uh, is uh, is the implementation of it simple which is easy for me to say the uh, the crud on it is is also easier too. So like easy. you know moving data around, deleting data, inserting data into it, you know th- those are all cheap you know relatively cheap operations compared to other hierarchical data implementations. Yep, absolutely. Um
1: I mean what mo- moving somebody from manager 1 to manager 2, you basically say hey, update employee set um manager ID equal to 2 where employee ID equal 5, right? Whatever. So Super, super easy. And you're done. If you yeah. do that, you're done. There's nothing
0: else to look at, nothing else to touch. I mean, chances are, if you're writing any code where you even touch the database, you even look at the database, you've probably already seen data that matches this model. Yep. Like, you you already know about it. Yep.
1: I mean, uh, old, old uh, like, uh, d- uh, not dashboards, like, um, what can I think? Forms. This is how the commenting system would work in a lot of forms, right? You'd have common ID equal one. If somebody replied to that, then, then common ID two's parent ID was one, and so on down the list. And that's how a lot of commenting system works. Heck, I think even if you look in the WordPress database, um, you'll actually see those type of, of relationships, right? This, is, this particular piece of content belongs to that piece of content, belongs to that piece of content. So it's a very simple way to structure a schema for representing a hierarchy.
0: So so what are the problems with it? So we mentioned that, you know, large trees are going to cause problems for this. If you if you're dealing with large data sets, then this might not be your guy. Right? That that's really that's like the number one thing that I that comes to mind for me as far as like problems for this.
1: Yeah, and here's another thing I will say, even If you're not going down a ton of levels, even if it's something that you are constantly querying that way, it can get expensive, right? Oh, that's a great point, too. Yeah, so uh, you kind of need to look at the frequency of it because you know, taking the hit on it once or twice may not be a big deal. But if every single query you have – and I'll give a good example. If you have – let's say you have – What if it was
0: a product catalog?
1: Right, that's a perfect example. You, if you're constantly having to query down the uh the categories every single time you're going after products, that gets really expensive because you're now crawling that 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 tree on every single query and if you got a lot of people hitting that, I mean, that they can really start running into some performance issues.
2: Okay, so um Uh, Just to make sure I I understand this, I wanted to kind of sum it up. Um, So would you say that an adjacency list is one strategy for solving the hierarchical data problem where each record keeps track of its parent? Yep. Works for me. Cool. All Uh, right. So
0: I think we've got adjacency list down. it's, It's a fairly simple one. You've seen it before, but we wanted to go ahead and lay the groundwork before we moved on to any other, because we wanted to, you know, this is going to be the first of a few episodes where we wanted to talk about different uh, hierarchical data models, right? And so we need to lay some groundwork out, so, or some, some, you know, framework out that we can all talk on a common language here. So I think we got adjacency list. But before we move on to the next model, I do want to say that... uh, you know, if you haven't already, we would greatly appreciate if you would leave us a review. Uh, you can go to codingblocks.net/slash review and find your platform of choice, be it iTunes or Stitcher, uh, you know, or, or whatever. If you know of another platform that you like to find us on, and uh, you want to leave a review there, hey, by all means, please do, and let us know about that that platform because yeah. you know, there's there's probably a, there's a ton of aggregators out there that we're not aware of, so. Yep.
2: Um <laughs> Uh <laughs> Sorry I'm being distracting on the camera. He, he is being distracting. There we go. I I figured if I took a selfie of myself sitting here, then I could just kind of tape my phone to my webcam and go to the bathroom.
0: Interesting. <laughs> All right, go ahead, so, and go to the bathroom. So, maybe the poll for this one should be like how how do you think this remote uh gig is working? Should Joe move back to Atlanta? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to yeah. go ahead and vote yeah. yes.
2: Yeah, uh yeah, and if our uh sound quality sucks this time, you guys should let us know. We'd appreciate it. Blame yep.
1: Joe. Yep. Um all right. So, the next one,
0: what what's the uh, next one we're going to look at? So, as we as we step into our deep dive here for uh uh nested, or for hierarchical data models next one that we want to talk about is nested set models right you want to give us a a a brief uh, overview or Uh, or you want me to dig into it So
1: i will try and give a brief overview i think we brought this up previously as well
0: um but yeah I, i did want to say we did talk about this in episode 13 at around the 44 45 minute mark but uh there was still some some I don't know that we went into it as deep as we probably could have.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely wasn't centered around hierarch- hierarchical data sets. I think it was kind of a, a mention in passing. So so essentially what it is is this. If if you tried to take a hierarchy and flatten it out to where if you thought about everybody that was underneath something, it, let's, let's talk about employees and managers again because it's something people can kind of relate to. If if you were to just take your arms and wrap them, if they were big enough to wrap around all the people under you, that's kind of what the nested set is. So essentially, if if you envision that everybody has a left and a right, all right, and their right is always one more than their left, if they are the only person at that level. So let's say you're at the very... So you kind of need to picture it from the bottom of the tree first, right? If yeah. you're at the very bottom of the tree... Let's let's say that your
0: ID is twenty. Hold on, before you go down that path, though. Yeah. Because because I already see like there's some confusion, and I, I think I got a better way to visualize this. Okay. Right. Like let, let's get out of the the employee uh, mindset for a moment, and let's okay. just talk family tree. Okay. Right. So so if you're building your own family tree, and let's say that you're making the smallest family tree you could possibly make, and being lazy, and you just start with you and your parents. Okay. So this left-right business that Alan's talking about, basically, what you're going to do is you're going to start at the the top of the tree, right, and you're going to go down every node and and count it. And then when you get to the bottom of a branch, you're going to start walking back up and and continue counting, right. And then when you get to where a branch forks, then you're going to go down that branch and continue counting. And you're going to come back up and you're going to keep doing that until all branches have been visited and every node in the tree has been visited at least twice. twice. Yep. Okay? And this is where the left-right value part, Alan, comes in. So as you walk down these nodes the first time, you're adding or, or or you're setting a value for the left side and then as you start walking back up a branch is when you set the right value. Yep. Okay? So in this in this very shallow family tree, uh, uh, version, then if I start with myself, my left is one. And then let's say I start with my mom, her left is two and because I don't go any further, right? Her right is now three and I come back to me and then I go to my dad and his left is four. And because I'm not going any further down the tree, his right is five. And then I come back to me. And now my right is six. So I have a left value of one and a right value of six. My mom has a left value of two and a right value of three. And my dad has a left of four and a right of five. Yep. Okay. Now that is as simple as I can explain that, but it's hard to appreciate the value of it just yet. Yeah. Now, if you keep, if you were to make this tree bigger, right? And let's say that we, we decided to include my mom's parents in this tree. Then as I, let's start over with the counting. Yep. I start with myself. My left is one. I go to my mom. Her left is two. I go to her mom, which is be my grandmother. Her left is three. She's now the end. So her right is four. Go back up to my mom and we go back to the next branch, which would be her father. So his left is five, right six, and then come back to my mom. Her right is now seven. Now we come back up to me, and then we go to my dad to calculate his left of eight, his right of nine, and now my right is 10. Yep. So now you can see that when there was just three people in that hierarchy, my left was one and six, but as soon as we added two more, my values went left of one and right of ten,
1: yeah, and what we're going to do to help illustrate this is we're going to put an image up on the show notes for slash episode twenty eight so that so that you could actually kind of
0: see what we're talking about here but there's some we'll link to some there's already some that are made i'm I'm using a family tree as an example, yep. just because everybody can you know relate to that that 's an easy one to understand but um yeah th- there's some. Uh, particularly in like uh, the Wikipedia article, if you look at this, where they talk about product catalogs as an example for uh, you know how you might use this. But the point that I wanted to illustrate, though, is just that with before you went too deep into left right, that really all that is is I consider it, and and I haven't actually read this anywhere, and I'm curious to hear your take on it. But um. I consider this to be the expense of walking the tree. Yep. That that's what those two values
2: represent. The left you have is to the, rewalk that tree every time you insert or update. Yeah. Yes. The
0: the left well okay, hold on. The the left value represents the, the expense of walking the branch the, the first path time. down that branch right. and the right value represents the expense of walking back all, of br- all of the all of the sub branches until you got back to that node. Now, right. as you already kind of hinted at though, and and as you might have noticed when I introduced just two more people into that hierarchy, I couldn't just I had I had to start over with my counting. I couldn't just easily insert that in. So those those would be extremely expensive operations especially in large data sets. Yeah, so so notice what he said.
1: His first, when when he was first just including his two parents, his left was one, his right was six, right? When he introduced his grandparents, his right bound completely changed at that point. But that's not just the important part. So did all the left values for everybody under or after his mom. After the first node right. was visited after him, every other node at that point changed for its left and right values.
0: So he he essentially had to recalculate the entire tree at that point. Right. Um which means that like if i had to if if i wanted to remove my grandmother from that list, yep. she was the third node i went to. Yep. But if i wanted to remove her, then she would change the values for my grandfather, my mother, my father and myself, like the entire tree, everybody had at least one value, whether it be the left or the right or both, changed yep so that's why like typically in uh, implementations where nested set models are used, you wouldn't want to bother trying to even maintain you know, doing uh, those type of crud operations instead no. yeah. instead you want this data to be throwaway you create it you save it into a table and when you're done with it you throw it away and you rebuild it. Yep, it's it's one of those things to where it's probably not if it's for
1: mission critical, time critical applications where data is transactional and changing, you're not using this this particular model because it would be too hard to maintain. However, if it's something that's not like to the minute critical then if it's something that you can build every hour, every two hours, something like that. Something that you could do in batch. Something that you can do in batch that you can basically let it run, do its thing, and be done with it. This is when you use the nested set model. But let's go into
0: – some people will be like, well, why would you even do that? Why right, because we've even- only described like bad things about it, right? Like right. even even me describing it to you like hurt my brain a little bit just saying it, and I already knew what it was. right. If you've never ran across this before, then I can I can only assume that you would ask like, "Well, it sounds horrible. I I never want to do that." And and here's the thing too. A lot of times, um, the
1: the interesting part of this is it typically typically relates back to the um uh, what do we call it? The uh, uh the adjacency list. So just to just to give you an idea. This is usually something that you build off of an existing schema like an adjacency list. This is not something you start with. The nested list is almost, I'm not saying it never is. I'm sure somebody out there has spent a lot of time writing CRUD operations to make this work, which seems somewhat insane to me. But typically, uh, the way that this is used is you take an adjacency list um, where they already have a hierarchical model built and then you build this nested set, and we'll go into the reasons for it. We we'll, we'll might as well right now, anyways.
2: Right? Like, what, what's yeah? I mean, one? it go makes ahead. sense to me. Like, if you want to know the ancestors of Michael, you just take that left to right values and say, "Give me everything in between," and yep. you're done. Right? Yep. Yep. Well,
0: more specifically, let, let's drill. Let's talk about like where, uh, if you wanted to find only the ancestors, or you know. um you know, the the lineage of my mother in that example, right? Her left value was two and her right value was six, right? So you seven. could... No, it was six. six? Uh, yeah, because grandmother was three left, four, four right, five... Oh, six, yeah, it was seven. It was seven. yeah. I know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, real-time editing. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sorry. So my, my mom would have been two and seven, and then you could do a search where the left value is greater than two and the right value is less than seven. And then that would immediately return back the, anyone in the tree below mother. Right yep. now here's the, here's the big advantage of this, right? Like they are, um, you know, depending on how much data you're working with, you know, it, it does, uh, it is a little bit more involved to, uh, create this data. Now, that doesn't like you could you can have hundreds of thousands of records and still create this data within like you know 30 seconds, right? So <clears throat> that might not sound horrible. It is horrible if you were trying to do that inside of a web call, right? right. Know, so so you wouldn't want to do it then. That's why you'd want to do it in batch. But you know, so you could build that all up front, but the so you you know you take this relative uh term of it it, it takes a while to create. But once you have this data created, the querying of it is ridiculously fast to and get easy in ent- really large data sets. Back of these trees, right of uh, of you know these these subtrees or start at the entire tree, like how, whatever portion of the tree you need, right? You could real quickly get to all that data, and because we're just talking about simple integers, right? Or depending on how large you need, uh, you know, you can easily index these, which is why I wanted to comment on You're you right. know the adjacency list. Like that's not necessarily just you know, right? Um, you know, specific to that. So, so you can do some some nice indexing too, and, and really get your query performance on it. So, what you would typically do when you implement these nested set models is you'd have the data, and like Alan said, you know, you would have. Going back to our employee example, you know, you'd have that employee uh, table and built into that and, you know, each one of those records is the adjacency list where every employee knows its manager, right? So there's a column called manager ID, right? You would have typically this nested set uh, model that that output in its own table, right? And there would be a foreign key relation between the employee table and the hierarchy table so that you could uh join those back and forth and so that you could yep. say like hey where the employee you know join on the empl- where the employee id equals the hierarchy's employee id and then find where the values of for left match whatever you're looking for in the values for right so if you wanted to find uh you know if you wanted to find everyone in the tree above someone like you know going back to the example where i'd said that my mom's value was uh, two, and uh, her right value was seven. Or let's go, no, let's talk about, let's use the grandmother in that example. Her left was three and her right was four. Well, hold up, hold up. Before we go that far, I think there's
1: one more piece that we need to add in here. Okay. So we got the left and the right, okay? That tells us what we encapsulate, right? Like what, what our reach is, we'll say. There's also one other piece of information, typically when you're doing the nested set model, that you add as well, and that's the level. So so as you're walking down and, and you're and I'll, and we'll go into why you do this in a minute, but I wanted to add this in here because this is where the query becomes easier. So right now, Mike was at the top, so we'd say his node level was one or zero, depending on what your ordinals were. His mom is level two. His grandmother and grandfather are level three. His dad, when it started coming back up the tree now, is also level two. Alright? So we have Nodes one, two, and three node levels one, two, and three. And this is important in a second when we start getting into kind of where he was going with this. So, so now each record has a left, a right, and a level, we'll call it. All right. And so now let's go back to where you were talking about. So, you're going to query from your mom or your
0: grandma. Well, yes mm-hmm. sorry was with I was thinking of the grandmother, because then you're going down like three deep right okay. so her left was three, her right was four, right right So before we were saying where the values were greater than, but instead we could say like where the left is less than three and the right is greater than four, yep, and that's going to walk you back up the tree, right, and so that's going to find that would return back my mother in that case and myself. In that case. And this is where the level comes
1: into play. But the level wasn't necessary. It is. So here's why. So if you were going to do something like, um, say, hey, tell me everybody that is a direct report or or a direct um, parent of Mike. The easiest way to do that is, is. Yes. Yes. I see where you're talking about. And even going back up, even going back up, because you could say, hey, who were her parents? Now you would just say, hey, we're node level equal node level minus one and left is uh, less than that left and right is greater than this right. And then that way, you're just going up one. Because if you just said less than it, – it's just what you said a second ago. If you had said give me everything where the left is less and the right is greater, that's going to give you everybody above her. Well,
0: I, I, okay, I understand what you're saying and, and and I don't disagree with it. But the only reason why – I wasn't bringing that in immediately, though, is because it's not required, right? Like you could implement, you could have the nested set model without that level. Yeah, you could. You no. could have the you could have the nested set model without it. I don't think it's so. just if depending on the you're listing specific kinds of queries where you wanted to go at particular levels, and if that was the case, then yes, it, it would absolutely be n- crucial. I don't. I
1: don't know that you could do some of these queries without it, and the reason I say it is because when you start doing the left less than and the right greater than, um, there's no way to narrow it down to just one level above you. Um, without doing yeah, if some crazy that, but, but joins, but again,
0: if that's the type of thing that you needed to do, if right. you didn't need to do that type of query, then that level isn't is irrelevant. And that's why I'm saying, like, if you only needed, if you only needed to build a model where you either need to go down the tree from where you start or from up the tree from where you start, then who cares about the level? But
1: if you say that you only want direct reports or direct parents,
0: well, see, but and I'm saying I didn't list those examples. But but,
1: but no, but that's why I'm saying, like, typically when you are doing a nested set model, you want those three key pieces of information. And the reason I say is because without without the level. You are now hindered to what you can do. You can only go all the way up or all the way down. You yes. can't you can't say, I only want his first two levels, or I only want his first level, or I only well, you want can the do first some three. math on that. And that's what I'm saying. On the left so now, on the left be, value. Now it becomes
0: extremely expensive and your joins are gonna be crazy too. So so uh, okay, yeah. Fair enough. I, I'm not yeah. I'm not I'm not discounting this, but what I'm what I'm trying to get at though is the core for the Set model is the left and right. Yes, adding the depth to it, or the level, or whatever you want to call that, is a variation on this that definitely makes it far more beneficial, depending on what you're trying to do. But the root core of what's required for the nested set model doesn't require that. R- right, it doesn't. Uh, okay, th- for- that's the only point that I was trying to make, and that's why I hadn't brought it up yet. But okay. but now to where you're talking about though, now you could do uh, some some more advanced queries like what you were saying yeah i mean and i have we
1: i don't even know that we've so yeah we somewhat talked about the pseudo query on it right like if you wanted to do it you'd say hey select star from and and let's say that you call this employee tree right or something like that because you still have your employee table which like we talked about earlier or not employee let's, Let's stick with the employee because it was already there. You have your employee table that had the manager ID and the employee ID, right? If you are going to create a nested set table, you are probably going to call it employee hierarchy or something like that, right? Um, and then in that table, what you would do is you'd say, "Hey, select all from employee hierarchy where you know employee ID equal one," and then you would join back to itself. And say, join employee hierarchy where left is greater than uh, employee the the parent employee. We'll call it its left, and or, or you just do the between right. We talked about this before. You can just say a between where left is is between um, the top employees left and right.
0: Um, yeah, you lost me a little bit there. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm trying to.
1: I was trying to like. So, so if you're trying to find everybody that's a child of that top level, right, you can say, give me everybody where their left is in between my left and my right. Right. And that'll return back the tree below you. That'll return back the tree below you. So, it's a very simple query. That's another part of the nested set that is actually pretty awesome is when you first put it all together, it's kind of hard to look at and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But once you actually fully understand what you're, what you're looking at, which is a flattened hierarchy is really all it is, when you do that, querying this thing becomes easy. Hey, give me all the left values below me that's going to fall in between my left and my right. If you, want, if you want everybody above, you can say, hey, give me everybody above where their left is less than mine and their right is greater than mine right to get the entry above yep and it's just it's a it's a self join back to itself it, to the same table so you would join employee hierarchy to employee hierarchy on these type of predicates that we're saying where left is between you know this employees left and this employees right so it's it's pretty simple to query which is one of the big things now building this table i think you did one recently yeah it, it's a it's a bit of an exercise right
0: it's definitely it, it, it's definitely a fun little challenge uh, if you haven't done one in a while. But the, um, yeah, it, and, and again, like, let's exclude where Joe was trying to get crazy with us on the circular crap. Which breaks it completely. You can't even do it, right? I, I mean, circular is going to be problematic for a lot of hierarchical. Just about anything. Yeah, you know, which, which is why they're called hierarchical.
2: But how do you prevent that, right? Like, um, you know, if if my query for kind of recalculating this stuff on an insert or update breaks, you know, there's no sort of constraint that I can really put in the database, right, to prevent this from happening.
1: No, you could. You could in SQL Server. You could create constraints that would, that would not allow that. You would basically create, I believe, you can create a check constraint in SQL Server. And you could yeah, write, how many levels deep would you, you could get? write a CTE that would be that check constraint. So it's going to be fairly expensive. But but it could be fairly expensive, right? But what I'm saying is you can actually create a check constraint, I believe, that would allow you to query the hierarchy and make sure that you're not inserting anybody way down here that's or that's referencing you know, somebody that's going to put them into some sort of circular but loop.
2: That's kind of hard for this model because, uh, you know, it's almost like I'd need to kind of disable that restriction while I'm doing all these individual little updates in a transaction. And then I need to kind of put that constraint back on. Right. Cause like, as I'm kind of going through and rejiggering in this, unless I, you know, wipe out all the columns. That's what well, you again, usually do. Again, you this would be,
0: you, you wouldn't even ha- this, this data, you would not want to be attached to your main table. You want this in its own table because at every time this batch runs you will be blowing that data away and restarting and so if you had that as columns in your main table yeah. then it's going to decrease the performance of it because you're going to end up locking that all the time yeah every time this batch runs but if you put it into a separate table then you could do all of your work in memory and then at the very end just truncate the table and yep. dump it, it. it in and and let's
1: be clear you would never ever want to try and recalculate these things on the fly. I've heard of of people who have tried to put enough space in between left and right, like pad the left and right, so that so the like hundred in between exactly. each one, and then you can kind of
2: fill in the spots exactly.
1: Right? So like what Outlaw was saying a minute ago, where you know he was one, his mom was two, his grandma was three, and then so on back up. Instead of that, he would be
0: he would be one hundred, she'd be two hundred, and then three hundred. And yeah, then but the, then you still take a hit because you, you have do. to have something on your constraint to be able to verify, like, hey, have I gone beyond yet? Because if I have, now it's time to take the big hit and redo this. Out- and that's the thing.
1: Boy. And and to take it even further, now the logic you have to build in to actually determine when you need to rebuild this thing, if it's not just going to be some sort of timed thing, it, it's going to be insane. So basically what I'm saying is you'd have to write incredibly complicated code to manage an update on something like this, whereas typically what you do is, in SQL Server, like a way that you would probably go about this, is you do a select into a new table so so that you didn't lose any any gap of time in between when this thing's being built and if you wanted to swap it out. Like a strategy that I've seen done is you select into a new table and then you would do something like an SP rename to where it's almost instantaneous you rename the old table to underscore old, and you rename your new table to what the old table's name was, yeah. and then that basically swaps it in immediately. Um, and, and let's let's take it back to it. The two primary reasons for building this table are one, performance, and two, easy to query.
0: Right? I mean, that's yeah. There, there is one other, uh, you know, another downside of this that we haven't mentioned in, yet, and that's that. Uh, you don't have the referential integrity that your adjacency list had. Right. Yep. Like these left, right values are just calculated values. They're meaningless outside of that table. Yeah. Like yeah. E- even that depth column that you talked about, like if you did go with left, right and the, and the depth, none of those mean anything other than what, you know, within this table, they don't, that's the only place where they provide value. Yep. So, and and let's be clear though, they are extremely useful. Like if you need
1: performance, they are incredible.
0: Oh Um, yeah, the Nest Set model. You mean yes, yeah, yeah. And and also too, I don't think that we um, mentioned this, but the guy who named it that, uh, Joe Selko. Yeah, Joe Selko. Selko. Uh, You know, he he's the one with uh, giving credit for having introduced the name uh, nested set model. And, uh, we'll have, sh- we'll have some links in the show notes to it. it. It's, it's once you see this, uh, some of this imagery to back this up, it'll, it'll, it'll lock in, it'll, it'll sink in a little bit better. Uh, cause I can understand how, like if you're hearing this for the first time, this is going to be a tad, uh, much to understand. So that's why I'm trying to be, I'm trying to explain it as well as I can. And I hope I've done a, a good job of that. We'll
1: have
2: some good pictures in the show notes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to, it's, but I mean, like everything we do on the podcast, all this stuff is, is kind of hard to completely visualize, but hopefully this will give you something to go look at and be like, Oh, if I run across this problem in the future, I have an idea of how I can solve it. Right. Um, I've used nested set tables in the past and I definitely did them to where they were processed like every few hours or whatever. And, in situations to where you know you needed to see things like employees or even products or, or things like that, um, because the performance gain that you get out of it is absolutely fantastic. Now, if you have bad data, it can cause you problems, right? Like if your referential integrity on your on your real table that contains that data doesn't do things like check for circular dependencies or there's gaps in the data. Now you have to figure out what you're gonna do with it, right? Like like typically you're gonna look down from the CEO and then you're gonna have that manager and then their manager or whatever. But what happens when you have a break somewhere in the middle where this guy's just kind of floating and he doesn't report to anybody?
0: What do you do with that data, right? Oh, well, this is a good thing that we haven't mentioned though, is because that this by having this data in its own table. Right there's nothing to say that you can't have multiple hierarchies in right. that table. Right. So if you're as you're creating these uh, nested set models, right, uh, or or as you're creating the data for this nested set model, you know, depending on your data structure, you might have multiple people who are considered you know the the, the top of right. their respective tree, and you could have multiples of those trees. Yep. No, that's one- why tying it back to the original table with a foreign key is going to be crucial. In that regard, so like in the employee example that I gave where you would have uh, an employee ID in this hierarchical, I think you referred to it as the employee tree table, so you'd have uh, an employee ID column that was a foreign key back to the employee table. Yes, yes. Um, Now, one thing this does not do, though, and
1: will not allow you to do, is you could not have a child be a child of multiple parents. All right? No. So that is... there are other situations
0: and other solutions that we 're going to talk about, other models, and, and well, that does kind of confuse the family tree example that we started with though okay that 's yeah. flipping the tree yeah, that 's flipping on end, yeah,
1: so the way that he actually created the tree where he was at the top kind of surprised me because it sounded like he created his parents but but no, if you were to take it from his grandparents down you 'd see that so like. I could not report to both Michael and Joe in this type of situation unless right. you had the tree upside down. But but then you'd have the inverse problem too. Um but that is one thing that this particular model will not support is a child can only be a child of one parent. It cannot have multiple parents. There are other models that will allow that, but that's just something to be aware of.
0: Yeah, and we're going we're going to discuss like I said, we're we're going to discuss some other models um you know in coming episodes. So we look forward to this as being uh you know uh, a fun topic to be able to, to dig into so and by the way family trees start what you start it yourself and work down i'd seen family a family tree. tree
1: like that i thought the tree what? was always like the branches came out those were all the kids and everything right yeah
0: they go down uh, like when you draw a family tree
1: okay maybe i'm just crazy i don't
0: know that i've ever drawn a family
1: tree so i'm probably the worst person to ask about
0: that um uh all right, so yeah, th- there's some other examples we're going to get into, uh, materialized path, closure tables. Uh, you know, we're we're going to come into these in into uh, coming episodes. So we're really looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, it's and, and I think this is all really useful information. I, I mean, if you ever cross these paths, you'll know some of the pains that you that you um, that you hit doing this kind of stuff. Uh, it looks like we lost Joe. Yeah, so I don't know what happened there. We, we've had our first technical diff, our first technical difficulty on the show,
0: which is not too bad. An hour and some odd minutes in, so yeah, somebody reboot the internet. It's down. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, technical difficulties have been
2: resolved and we're back. Yep. So I uh, just wanted to recap the adjacency model is basically where uh, record stores its parent ID. And it's a simple model, but the problem is that it scales poorly. So as the data size grows, it gets slower and slower. And to contrast it with what we've just been talking about, the uh, other solution we talked about tonight is the nested set model, which um, is much easier to query, much faster, much more elegant. But the problem is that you have to maintain that data. So it's harder on inserts and updates, but it's much quicker for uh, actually querying that data.
0: Uh, I agree with most of that, except
2: with maintaining the data, you would just blow it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and, and you just can't do it that often, right? Well, you uh, could, I mean, depends it depends on your batch.
1: Yeah, it could. I mean, so like, like outlaw said, I mean, we've had situations, I know he's done it recently and I've done situations where I had, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not close to a million records and you can do it in under a minute. Yeah, I mean, so, I,
0: I had it down to, like, like within the teens, I think, in seconds. Yeah, oh, so no. For hundreds of thousands load. of records.
2: So. So page like, load's got to be less than a second.
1: Right. So you wouldn't do it on the page load. That's why you'd batch it. But you might do it every 10 minutes. You might do it every five. You might do it every... So it's not anything that you're actually going to be dependent on a user interaction. This is going to happen in batch, behind the scenes, and then you're just going to use that table. Yeah, for
0: my purpose, I was able to do it, like, once a day. Yeah. Right. And And, you know, that that's 16 seconds or whatever, you know, yeah, you wouldn't want to take that in a web request, but 16 seconds, you know, at 4 a.m. in the morning, who cares? Yeah. Right. Or, so even throughout the day, right? If nobody's actually using that
1: code, it's just happening. And then you get to benefit by using the table.
0: Yeah. And we'll you know. have, like I said, we'll have some, uh, some links to this stuff in the show notes and, and, um, you know, some imagery to, to help describe it. So be sure to check out the show notes and, uh, yeah, so, so let's get into the resources that we like. Yep, so
1: um, one that I had found a while back, and kind of what sparked a little bit of this was um, on SlideShare, there was a, a nice little thing that, that a guy put together that was literally uh, several different types of models for hierarchical data. And uh, we'll go ahead and link to that one. And then uh, one that I had found years and years ago was Joe Selko's sequel for Smarties. Uh, that's a book that's available on Amazon, and it's it's really good. I mean, if if you want to get some mind benders, this is, I think, where the first nested set model thing came into play, So, um, or at least one of the first references that I'm aware of. So that's another reference.
0: Yeah, and there's also a, a link that we'll include to Stack Overflow where it talks about uh, different uh, options for hierarchical data, too, that, that gives a really nice, concise overview of, of different... uh, Model, so we'll include that as well.
1: All right, so now it is time for the tip of the week. Oh yeah, let's get into it. (laughs) Week
0: tip of the month, whatever. (laughs) Why why you gotta do that? Why you gotta be like that? It hurts. Okay, so so here's the thing. Like, how well? Be honest with yourself. Now, how well do you recall all of your big O notation? (sighs) totally like like n- not not just all the variants but also like the expense of it which one's better than the, another like, you which, which is worse which is best like you know average Dude. you know do, do you remember all of that right Space i remember the time complexity there's a thing called big o <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of it and and it is it is uh a bit much to try to remember all of it so So and especially if you don't use it regularly, you know, you know, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, you talk about big O notation with your spouse, but you know, (laughs) it comes up every now and then. Right. But if it doesn't, then this is where you have the big O cheat sheet dot com. It's awesome. And this is a really cool resource uh, that you can go to and it it maps it all out. You can see which ones are the. You know, average performers which ones are the worst performers which ones are the best performers for different um it gets into it like for data structure operations array sorting operations graph operations like heap i mean there's a a bulk of different ways that it talks about you know which operations perform better and and gives their big o notation uh, for each of those operations so again big o cheat sheet.com and we'll have a link to it in the show notes that's most excellent.
2: Yeah, and uh, the one I wanted to mention is actually um, from, let's see, they've got a pronunciation guide. Uh, devus.azurewebsites.net has a um, a great setup for basically the shortcuts they use with their gaming mouse. So we talked about this a little bit in Episode 8. Um, you know, Basically, gaming mice have all sorts of crazy buttons, and they've got a great diagram here. It's got maybe, I don't know. Eight buttons uh, on on the side of their mouse, and uh, they show actually the kinds of things that they um, have hooked up to these different buttons. So you can press a single button to build, a single button to step over, step into, stuff like that. So... This is really nice and, and what I really thought was kind of funny about it is if um if I tried to, you know, be honest with myself and kind of set up shortcuts for myself for things that I actually do commonly, uh, I might have one for like restarting Visual Studio. I might have one for, you know, I can go ahead and add and commit with the message of I don't know why this works, you know, <laughs> uninstalling ReSharper.
0: Exactly. Oh god, that hurts. Yeah, it hurts to even make the joke. Troubleshooting now, my wireless now, connection. Now I do have a question. though, <laughs> how did you say they pronounce this? Because if I look at their URL, I got to hear this again.
2: Yeah, it's um the first the first uh, syllable is the problem one. It's like on their pronunciation guide, it's dih, which looks to me like di. But I always thought the word was devious.
0: Yeah, because when I look at their URL, it's definitely devious. Yeah, it's devious. So how do you pronounce dih? Devious. Yeah, dih. De- I don't know. This is wrong. Yeah, Yeah, their their URL is
2: websites. I think I just got it. It's devious. No, but... Yeah, there's actually underneath the pronunciation, there's a definition for the word, which is showing a skillful use of programming tactics to achieve goals, as in, he's a devious as a programmer needs to be.
1: Okay. Okay, it's devious. All right.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I hate that I just uh, said it totally wrong. Uh, even though it's a pronunciation guide at the very top. Oh well. Yep. Life goes <laughs> anyway, on. it's an awesome article and it's got great pictures and it's a great idea. Excellent. So mine is
1: is because I ran into some issues or a couple of us ran into issues recently where we couldn't see dimensions in a cube. Oh my god!
0: You go into SQL management. hada 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 hada. You can't, you can't bring up this. Uh, we haven't even talked about MDX or Cubes, uh, not even once, and suddenly you're just going to throw this on us as a tip of the
1: week. I'm going to because anybody else out there who runs across this will probably be like, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah right? Yeah, so, their brains are <clears> melting <throat> too. So if you have the misfortune of working with Cubes and MDX and you have to look at dimensions and things like this, ran across a thing to where i i get this query from somebody an mdx query that has these dimensions in it that i can't see in the cube browser in ssms management studio and and it it just stumped right like w- there's magic here <laughs> and i don't know what this magic is the answer is to get uh data tools i forget what it was, it was oh man
0: you don't know, even
1: business intelligence data tools <laughs> yeah. for visual studio and if you install that you can then open up an analysis services database within visual studio and you'll have access to everything
0: now well basically at that point you're looking at the what it takes the to, build the, to yeah. build the cube yeah so so Just you for can clarity, see though, all of them so, for those who aren't familiar with it, MDX is a multi-dimensional. Well, I don't even know what the X stands for. Query. X-ray. I don't know. <laughs> no, I forget what the X stands for. But it's yeah. a multi-dimensional query language. Yeah, and it's disgusting. It's it's gross. And 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 if you wonder, like, what's a multi-dimensional query language? Um, Excel. Yeah. It, seriously, it, I we're not going to go. Open deep up Intel. power. Open up Microsoft Excel, and now imagine, you know, you have you have your table. As your worksheet, yeah. but then there are multiple worksheets within multiple that file.
1: Tabs, you could have multiple workspaces or workbooks, is what they call. Right, it. right, right. Or you could have multiple Excel files, and they could reference other ones. Like it, it's it's truly a 40 space. But the key here is if you're not able to see all the dimensions that you think you should, if you open up the cube inside Visual Studio using that plugin, then you will then you will be able to see all the dimensions and everything else that went into building that cube.
0: And there was a trick too with this with this plugin uh, that you should probably mention, which is if you already have, well, you probably already have SQL Server uh, tools installed, um, but it, during the install, it's going to bring up your standard looking SQL Server install GUI, and it's going to prompt you, hey, do you want to install uh, any kind of add-ons to an existing? instance or do you want to create a new instance and you're going to be tempted to say hey i just want to add on to an existing instance and because all i want to be able to do is add in this ability to view cubes but that's not going to work yeah you'll need to uh specify a new instance and even though it sounds like it's going to create a new instance it's actually not
1: yeah it doesn't it's complete garbage for a ui for installing I, I think
0: that's just the cost of uh reusing the uh the regular uh, installer. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool
1: information. Uh, frustrating that you have to find out that way. But, you know. Hey. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. I have one other tip. Okay. O- only because he has now witnessed the greatness that it is. A 34-inch ultra ultra-wide monitor. What is your take, Outlaw? I don't know what he's talking about. Wait, I think he's going to try and steal it tonight. What? You <laughs> don't might-
0: even have one yet. <laughs> he's <laughs> He's going to
1: get clubbed on the way out the door. You,
0: you don't even have one yet. I don't know what you're talking about. You keep talking about wanting to buy one because you're jealous of mine. It's amazing, right?
1: You're, you're just jealous of mine. Hey, what did you do when you sat down with Visual Studio on that thing?
0: Well, I did what any self respecting developer would do, and I started tearing off
2: tabs. Yep. Yeah, I saw you started nesting. Started setting up your own little bat cave.
1: Dude, he had he had four vertical tab groups on that monitor. Showing.
2: Man,
0: it's a beautiful thing. I, <laughs> yeah, I've never I'm seen someone you.
2: have so much fun setting up vertical tabs. He's like, "Look, I'm gonna add third. Now I'm gonna take away. I'll put two more up." <laughs> I, I, True you story.
0: Know, I don't know why. I got...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling you out. Hey, I'm telling you guys right now. We're gonna put another. Uh, I'm gonna link to it again in the in the show notes, or somebody's going to. That monitor
0: is glorious. Like, there's no other word for it. It is. It, it's pretty spectacular. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. if you. There's actually. There's actually. Uh, I'll include this in the show notes. There was a, a life hacker article where it was talking about, um, you know, should you go multi-monitor or uh, ultra-wide monitor? And uh, they made a pretty good case for going single ultra-wide.
1: And you saw it. It's, it's pretty amazing yeah uh, i mean it, it's
0: oh god it's awesome it's, it's pretty spectacular i'm not gonna lie yep all right so that, that's it <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh we talked about two ways that you could possibly deal with higher cold data and uh, you know the adjacency list and the nested set model and uh like i said we'll, we're going to be getting into more in future episodes so uh you know we hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, let's see. What are we going to Oh, uh, no. We need to have a poll. And what should the poll be? Okay, wait. No, you go on. I, I got, a, I had an idea for the poll. Me um, go on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
2: want a blog post.
1: What was my blog post?
2: I thought you wrote a blog post uh, talking about this, and that's how this all kind of came to be. But now I'm not so sure.
1: Well, I did write one about uh, product hierarchies and categories. That's what it was. Yeah, and it's actually surprisingly one of our more popular articles on the site, which is shocking yeah.
2: because I've given it no love since then. But um, So I yeah. meant to actually put this in the resources we like section, but uh, apparently it's past my bedtime, time. <laughs> or we don't like it.
1: It's one of the two. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, that's pretty much it for that. So um, what about for the poll? Uh,
0: how long are you in programming?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So let's do this on episode slash or uh, cuttingblocks slash episode twenty eight. If you go there, we're going to have a poll on there, and we're going to ask you know how long have you been programming? What's your experience level? Well,
0: it's either that or, or, or another poll option that I had to. You can see I'm having so much fun with this poll; they just keep coming off like poll ideas. Because another one that I had too was that um, should Joe move back to Atlanta? I think.
1: I, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we need to change this from poll
0: to survey. Oh, right. I, I okay. don't, I, I, you, you're feeling a little... I, I don't... Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we'll stop that right there. The survey.
1: <laughs> Go check out We're the survey run. on episode 28, please.
2: Uh, that's... Uh, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And be sure to leave us a
0: review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Contact us with a question or a topic.
1: Leave your name and preferred method of shout-out, website, Twitter, whatever, and we'll be sure to mention you and visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find our show notes, examples,
0: discussions, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments
2: at codingblocks.net. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Coding Blocks.
1: And any kind of corny jokes that you have, we appreciate them. (laughs) Send them to us. Especially late at night. Yes, especially (laughs) late nights, at Coding Blocks. Just do it. We, we, We have fun with it. So, yeah, that's it. Episode 28 is a wrap.